Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda, a podcast series focusing on the evolving complexities of the sustainability landscape with a view on addressing current issues in a concise format to help you navigate and take action. I'm your host, Dominique Barker. Please join me as we explore today's most pressing matters with special guests that will give you some new perspective and help you make sense of what really matters. And I think that's a really important point to make here that this isn't you know, four banks producing a platform in isolation, but we are really keen to invite other members of, of the ecosystem, uh, be that banks, registries, marketplaces, exchanges to come and work with us. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Ryan Fan, Managing Director and Vice Chair of Global Distribution. He's based in Vancouver. And Robin Green, Executive Director, Digital Markets Initiative, uh, Quantitative Analytics. He's based in London. And the three of us have been working on an exciting project, Project Carbon. I'm based in Toronto, so you can imagine this has been a global project. Um, good afternoon, gentlemen. Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda. Hi, Dominique. It's nice to be here. Hi, Dominique. We're just going to describe Project Carbon to our audience. And maybe I'll just start off by describing the compliance markets and the voluntary carbon markets, because they are quite different. So today, the compliance markets are really what we think of in terms of carbon markets today. So it's things like a cap and trade system. We have those in California, in the Northeast US, that's called REGI or Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or the most prevalent one is the one in Europe, ETS, European Trading Scheme. And actually, China's about to launch one as well. They'll be launching their own cap and trade system. These are compliance markets the government or a regulator has set a number of emissions that can be emitted in that one geographic area. And so within that area, there's some trading that happens. And so those are the compliance markets. The subject that we're going to discuss today of Project Carbon is the voluntary carbon markets. And it's just that it's voluntary. And it has existed for some time in a retail space for those of you, for example, who've taken a flight and you wish to offset your emissions, you can buy credits. But the issue is, what are you actually buying? And where does it sit? What does it look like? And how do you know what you bought? So there's a bit of confusion. There's not a lot of transparency in terms of pricing. So our project, Project Carbon, aims to show transparency of what the carbon markets is about. And we think that that could unlock a lot of potential. So Robin, why don't you just describe the press release that we put out last week, describe the project in and of itself. Yeah, thanks, Dominique. To summarize what Project Carbon delivers, it's a book of record of ownership for the carbon markets, sitting on top of the registries, which will continue to perform their valuable role as the sort of the issuer of credits against their standards and sitting behind other platforms that may offer pre-trade services, uh, exchanges and other marketplaces. So what we do, what Project Carbon will do, will offer this record of ownership that we feel will be really powerful in the market and will enable a large number of additional use cases to run on top and, and will really drive some significant growth in the market. Robin, what are the four banks that we've partnered with? Can you just describe that relationship? It's a great dynamic we have here. So there's four banks, there's CIBC, Itau, NAB and NatWest working together to deliver what will be a shared service platform to help grow this market. And I think that's a really important point to make here that this isn't mm -hmm. you know, four banks producing a platform in isolation, but we are really keen to invite other members of, of the ecosystem, uh, be that banks, registries, marketplaces, exchanges to come and work with us to help 
grow this platform out because uh, as you would expect, the more volume and activity passes through this platform, the more benefits it can deliver to the market. And that's actually an important element that I omitted in my description is that part of what we're doing here is in alignment with a report that just recently came out, which is called the Task Force on Scaling Voluntary Carbon Markets. There was over 450 institutions that were involved in the end, and it's about scaling those voluntary carbon markets. And Ryan, I'm going to go to you because as we think about all these corporations that have set net zero targets, presumably it's going to be a lot more demand. Can you maybe just describe where we think as a group, where we think this market is going? Yeah, I think anecdotally, you can easily see many corporations making these net zero claims. And, you know, first, we'd like to see them obviously abate as much emissions as possible, but there's a base level of emissions that they simply can't abate. And so they're going to need offsets. And so according to McKinsey, this market should grow 30 times its existing size now by 2030 to a market size of $50 billion. So it is significant. And there clearly needs to be support to scale this industry. And ultimately, what we think that's needed to scale the marketplace is transparency. Mm -hmm. And this project aims to bring transparency to transactions and to the overall marketplace. Mm -hmm. The conversations we've had with current ecosystem players is that this is the need. And this is what Project Carbon is looking to do. It's looking to serve that need for transparency. And Ryan, as we think about that, because when we have transparency, for example, in pricing and perhaps in what the actual projects are, can you talk about some of the impact that that could have on unlocking potential for new projects? There's many ways to look at it. The first and most basic way is if you were a project developer, let's say, for example, you had an engineered solution where you were directly pulling carbon out of the air. It's difficult to get financing for such a project because it's new, it's innovative, the market is relatively untested, so why would anybody invest in that company if they don't know if, whether or not there's demand? If there's a visible price of carbon through precedent transactions and indicative bids and offers, then that project developer or engineered solution can go to the marketplace and say, look investor, look financier, look bank, here is a, a, a visible, credible, reliable price on carbon that demonstrates that there is demand for this, and they can take that physical demonstration of demand and turn that into financing for its projects. Right. And Robin, there is a distributed ledger technology aspect to what we've proposed. It's really been part of your expertise. Can you just describe why that's important in this case? The tokenization aspect, which I think really derives from the blockchain is, is really the thing to focus on here where we have tokens on the platform, which really are a legal claim on the underlying asset that's logged at the registries. And by using this tokenization dynamic, we can really start to reduce the friction when it comes to transferring ownership between seller and buyer. Though those tokens allow an owner of a credit to very clearly demonstrate to the market that they have possession. So if you're a large corporate wanting to demonstrate to the market, to shareholders, to customers that at the end of your sort of net zero journey, you've reduced your emissions as much as you can. And now you're looking to offset the hard to abate emissions. You can clearly demonstrate to the market the offsets that you have bought and the market will be able to drill in. So, so you'll be able to post up, let's say, a hash or a, think of it as a NFT effectively that, that links into your, your wallet. The market can see that and they can drill right in and they can see exactly the types of the credits that, that you have bought. So you know, as a corporate, you can be really proud of the 
the sort of the high quality credits that you have bought and your customers will be aware of that. And we envision as we think about this project and feel free to chime in, there's this element of charisma of carbon credits and a bit of a badge of honor for corporations to describe what they've bought and the difference that they've made. Yeah, definitely. There's a, Dominique, there's definitely a narrative to be told here. Let's look at Canada, for example. You know, many industrial companies will look to offsets because they simply can't uh, fully get to full abatement. And so it tells a much better story to all of their stakeholders, whether it be employees, shareholders, etc., that they're supporting local projects uh, within Canada, within their own borders, to help offset the carbon footprint that they're leaving in the country in which they're operating. Mm-hmm. Governments, shareholders, employees, they would all align to such stories. And that's part of the reason why we believe we're going to see exchanges address these regional market issues. Brian, can you talk about it with regards to exchanges in particular, and then perhaps touch on investors? I think a lot of people think that what we're building is an exchange, and it is not. Can you just describe the difference between exchanges and what we're doing? Yeah, exchanges are really good at providing price discovery and bringing buyers and sellers to a marketplace to negotiate. What we're trying to do is to provide that post-trade settlement layer to confirm ownership. We would expect the platform that we're creating for exchanges to sit on top of that platform. As Robin had said, we really encourage exchanges to come and talk to us because we do want this to be a global platform. And we know that there will be exchanges in various geographies trying to address their market constituents. Mm -hmm. And Ultimately, exchanges are really good at helping to accelerate growth because the big issue that we're trying to solve for right now that exchanges would love to solve for is fungibility. We all know that these carbon credits are unique in their own characteristics, and so it makes it challenging to make them fungible. But it's not dissimilar to, say, for example, the fixed income market or corporate credit, where you've got credit default swaps that are based on a number of reference contracts. It's a matter of scaling this carbon credit market out so that you have enough reference contracts to be able to create some type of index. In the fixed income market, you'd have different credit risk, different duration, different coupons, different jurisdictions. I don't think we're quite solving for fungibility quite yet. It's still early days. But on that comment about the post-trade settlement, and for those of you in our audience who are like, well, what's the big deal with that? Everyone we have engaged with, and Robin and Ryan chime in, I mean, we've spoken to buyers, sellers, environmental, non-government or agencies or organizations, governments, everybody agrees that this is absolutely necessary in this marketplace. Yeah, I'd agree. And the the tokenization brings in another really interesting set of features that we can have in that settlement uh, area. So a seller can sort of force the retirement of a credit to a buyer, for example, which is something that some of the sellers really uh, are looking to achieve, or they can prevent a credit from being sold on from that buyer. So this really starts to open up a whole load of additional dynamics that can be sort of supported by this platform in the market. So additional features and services where we've spoken with the market, they believe will be really useful. And there's one other thing that I just wanted to cover, because I think there is some discussion and some argument that all we're doing is enabling more carbon because you're, you know, you're just making carbon offsets. But I just want to leave everyone here with an argument is that if we don't have a way to have a price on carbon in the voluntary carbon markets, we cannot incent further development of things like direct air capture or carbon capture and sequestration or other engineered solutions or nature-based solutions. This is the best way to help finance and to develop these projects. We cannot do it without a price. 
Gentlemen, do you have anything to add, Robin or Ryan, anything that we've missed that you think the audience would appreciate knowing? I think we're really excited to be a a part of this. We're super keen to work with all the members of the ecosystem, BU registries, uh, exchanges, other banks, to help really build this very thin layer. That's the key thing. I think we're we're trying to emphasize that. Yeah, we sit on top of the registries and we facilitate simply, you know, the book of record of ownership and this post-trade settlement uh, and sort of reporting feature. By doing so, we're really expecting to be able to help the scaling of this marketplace. Thank you very much for your time today. And I just want to note, it's been a pleasure working with both of you and with the other banking members. This has been a real challenge, but a really exciting one and lots more heavy lifting to do. But thank you for being part of the journey. Thanks, Dominique. Thank you. Please join us next time as we tackle some of sustainability's biggest questions, providing different perspectives to help you move forward. I'm your host, Dominique Barker, and this is The Sustainability Agenda. The materials disclosed on this podcast are for informational purposes only and subject to our code of conduct as well as IROC rules. The information and data contained herein has been obtained or derived from sources believed to be reliable without independent verification by CIBC Capital Markets and to the extent that such information and data is based on sources outside CIBC Capital Markets, we do not represent or warrant that any such information or data is accurate, adequate, or complete. Notwithstanding anything to the contrary herein, CIBC World Markets Inc. and or any affiliate thereof shall not assume any responsibility or liability of any nature in connection with any of the contents of this communication. This Communication is tailored for a particular audience and accordingly this message is intended for such specific audience only. Any dissemination, redistribution, or other use of this message or the market commentary contained herein by any recipient is unauthorized. This communication should not be construed as a research report. The services, securities, and investments discussed in this report may not be available to nor suitable for all investors. Nothing in this communication constitutes a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any specific investments discussed herein. Speakers on this podcast do not have any actual implied or apparent authority to act on behalf of any issuer mentioned in this podcast. The commentary and opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individual speakers, except where the author expressly states them to be the opinions of CIBC World Markets, Inc. The speakers may provide short-term trading views or ideas on issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments, but investors should not expect continuing analysis, views, or discussion relating to those instruments discussed herein. Any information provided herein is not intended to represent an adequate basis for investors to make an informed investment decision and is subject to change without notice. CIBC Capital Markets is a trademark brand name under which Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, CIBC, its subsidiaries and affiliates provide products and services to our customers customers around the world. For more information about these legal entities, as well as the products and services offered by CIBC Capital Markets, please visit www.cibccm.com.